This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. This show is brought to you by the Buddhist Youth Association every Sunday, bringing Buddhism to the community of the Waikato. We also give away a range of free English or Chinese Buddhism books, MP3 or tapes on Buddhism. If you'd like one, please send a letter with $3 worth of stamps in an envelope to P.O. Box 82146, Highland Park, Howick, Auckland. Or you can phone 092713377. Buddhist Youth Association, respectful, beneficial, empowering. Hello, thank you for joining the program, and I hope your week has been excellent in every way. Over the last few weeks, we've covered the first two principal aspects, renunciation and bodhicitta, and last week we started discussing the third, the correct view, which Lama Tsongkhapa starts with the verse, Even if you meditate upon the determination to be free, and that's renunciation, and the altruistic intention, which is bodhicitta, without the wisdom realizing the final nature how things actually exist, you cannot cut the root of cyclic existence. Therefore, strive for the means to realize dependent arising. Now, although the mind of renunciation and the wish to attain enlightenment for the benefit of all beings are vital to attain Buddhahood, he says by themselves they are not enough. Not only can we not attain Buddhahood possessing them only, we cannot actually even attain any kind of liberation from our eternal round of sorrows. They have to be conjoined with the wisdom understanding the nature of reality which the Mahayana practitioners call emptiness. Last week, we briefly explained what we mean by emptiness, that is, the complete absence of any inherent and independent existence in anything. Nothing is truly independent. Nothing has its own intrinsic essence. Everything depends for its very existence on other things, causes and conditions, which in turn depend on other things, causes and conditions. In this way, Everything down to the smallest is interconnected with everything else. But that's not how we instinctively grasp at reality. Remember Trala Grimbache's description from last time. We are trapped within a self-fabricated conception about ourselves and everything else. We think of ourselves as having some kind of fixed identity. So when we look at the world, we also try to arrest its change. We do not see the dynamic nature of everything that surrounds us, from seasons changing to things coming into being and disappearing. We try to freeze everything, like freezing a moving picture, and this does not reflect reality. Looking at a frozen picture is not the same as viewing the world. The world is in motion, as is the self itself, so there is no fixed central point from which we are viewing the world. We are moving along with the world within which we dwell. We are in this world, we impact on this world, and the world in turn impacts on us. There is mutual influence and interaction going on continuously. This then goes on towards defining who we are, what we are, and so forth. In Buddhism, seeing that there is no fixed point from which we view the world is understanding anatma, which means selflessness of the self, or seeing one self as non-self, dogme in Tibetan. Realizing this is a great insight. 
This is what is meant by seeing one that nothing has its own independent intrinsic existence, that it is empty of inherent independent existence, and two, everything depends on other things, causes and conditions. Thus we exist in a vast web of interconnectedness in which nothing is left out. And this is what Lama Tsongkhapa refers to as the final nature, how things exist and dependent arising. Thich Han points to it beautifully when he says, Pratitya Samupada is sometimes called the teaching of cause and effect, but that can be misleading because we usually think of cause and effect as separate entities with cause always preceding effect, and one cause leading to one effect. According to the teaching of interdependent co-arising, cause and effect co-arise, samutpada, and everything is a result of multiple causes and conditions. In the sutras, this image is given. Three cut reeds can stand only by leaning on one another. If you take one away, the other two will fall. For a table to exist, we need wood, a carpenter, time, skillfulness, and many other causes. And each of these causes needs other causes to be. The wood needs the forest, the sunshine, the rain, and so on. The carpenter needs his parents, breakfast, fresh air, and so on. And each of those things, in turn, has to be brought about by other causes and conditions. If we continue to look in this way, we'll see that nothing has been left out. Everything in the cosmos has come together to bring us this table. Looking deeply at the sunshine, the leaves of the tree and the clouds, we can see the table. The one can be seen in the all, and the all can be seen in the one. One cause is never enough to bring about an effect. A cause must at the same time be an effect, and every effect must also be the cause of something else. Cause and effect interar. The idea of first and only cause, something that does not itself need a cause, cannot be applied. Now can you thus see how emptiness and dependent arising are mutually inclusive? But now before we continue, let's set our motivation today as we usually do for the program. Lama Zopa Rinpoche, the great Tibetan Buddhist master who lives constantly benefiting others, says that the mind of bodhicitta allows all our actions to become dharma, the cause for enlightenment, and the cause for happiness for all sentient beings. So this is definitely the most beneficial attitude to cultivate. If you can, please motivate that this program becomes the cause for your enlightenment so you can best benefit all living beings. But if you think this is too much for you, think that it should become the cause for your own liberation and eventual complete enlightenment. Thank you. Now, just returning to the question about the mutual inclusiveness of emptiness and dependent arising, do you see that if something has no intrinsic, independent existence, it must, must necessarily exist purely in dependence on other things? Otherwise, it could not exist at all. Certainly from a Tibetan Buddhist point of view, it is impossible for anything to exist partly independent and partly not. For that would mean the independent parts would have an intrinsic existence. So things either exist independently or dependently. And many Buddhist masters like Nagarjuna and Chandrakirti have gone to great pains to show that everything must exist purely independent on other things and or on causes and conditions. 
Still, even in the wide range of Buddhist thought, this is a vexed question. And in the Tibetan monasteries, monks study four broad schools of philosophy, each espousing its own version of selflessness. The teachers at the monasteries claim that the schools present increasingly subtle understandings of what the Buddha meant, up until the Prasangika Majjhimika school, which explains the final understanding of the Buddha's thought. Lama Tsongkhapa's understanding derives from that school, which counts the aforementioned Nagarjuna and Chandrakirti amongst its followers. Now I know that in the last program I said I wouldn't go into the tenets of the four schools. However, in his commentary to the three principal aspects of the path, Geshe Sonam Rinchen briefly describes how the four schools view the object of negation, so I thought it worthwhile to include that today. Be warned, though, the explanation is not so easy to grasp. If you want a fuller explanation, try Geoffrey Hopkins and Geshe Londrum Serpa's book Cutting Through Appearances, though I don't guarantee that is all that much easier to understand. When he talks of the object of negation, Geshe Sonam Rinchen refers to the thing that we need to invalidate, disprove or refute to realize how things really exist. And you will hear him mention the four schools as the Vaibhashikas, the Sautantrikas, the Chittamatrans and the Majamika school. The Majamika school is divided into the Svartantika branch and the Prasangika branch. Geshe Sanam Rinchen explains their various positions like this. The four schools of philosophical tenets posit the object of negation differently. Their assertions begin with the coarser levels of fabrication and end up with the most subtle. For the Vaibhashikas, that's the school with the coarsest explanation, the self which is negated is a permanent, single, independent entity. Permanent in that it does not change moment by moment, single in that it does not have parts, and independent in that it does not depend on causes and conditions. For the Sautantrikas, the self which is negated is more subtle. They assert that the person is an imputation and that the object of negation is a self-sufficient, substantially existent self. Imputation here means that the self is only imputed by the mind onto the being, and we have to negate our grasping at a self that appears to exist substantially. Geshe Sonam Rinchen continues, For Chittamatrans, who hold that forms and the awareness which perceive them both result from the same imprint and are not different entities, any kind of external existence or existence independent from the perceiving awareness is the object of negation. This means that Chittamadras basically don't believe in external objects and that external things appear only as manifestations of the imprints we already have on our minds from previous karma. Back to Geshe Sonam Remchen, who further writes, For this Fatantrika branch of Majamika school, who contend that everything exists both from its own side as well as through being posited by a non-defective awareness, Existence, exclusively from a thing's own side, without being thus posited, is the object of refutation. For the Prasangika branch of the Majamika school, who maintain that all things are mere attributions, any kind of existence that is not posited by awareness is the object of negation. So, the Svartantrikas say that things have their own kind of existence as well as being attributed by a non-mistaken awareness. 
They cannot, however, exist on their own without that awareness. And the Prasangikas say that nothing exists from its own side. It only exists as a base being labeled by awareness. For instance, as a monk, I exist only as the label monk put onto my combination of body and mind by an awareness. From all this, you can see how difficult it is to get a real understanding of what is meant by the nature of reality. However, Geshe Sanam Rinchen states that all the schools use the reason of dependent arising to disprove the object of negation, however they see it. He says that the Vaibhashikas, Sautantrikas and Chittamatrans use the fact that things depend on causes and conditions to disprove inherent independent existence. This is all good and well for things that change instant by instant, but it doesn't cover things that have permanent existence. As part of their reasoning, the Svartantrikas add that things are also dependent on their parts, and this includes permanent objects, such, since such objects do have parts. The Prasangikas, the school with the most subtle explanation, add that things depend on their basis and the mind that labels them. But this cannot be used to realize emptiness because you can only understand it when you have realized emptiness. So, we have to use the reasons of dependence on causes, conditions and parts to actually realize how things have no inherent independent existence. Now you may well say, phew, with a capital W to all this, and I will admit it is all a bit much to get your head around. However, basically, we are taught to think of things being dependent on causes, conditions and parts, and the mind that labels them, to prove that they don't have inherent independent existence. So, now having introduced the insoluble link between the nature of reality and dependent arising, Lama Tsongkhapa goes on to say, One who sees the infallible cause and effect of all phenomena in cyclic existence and beyond, and destroys all false perceptions of their inherent existence, has entered the path which pleases the Buddha. Geshe Sonam Renchen says of this verse that the words, all phenomena in cyclic existence and beyond, point to the basis on which emptiness is realized. And the words, the infallible cause and effect, indicates dependent arising as a reason, and the words, false perceptions of their inherent existence, refers to the misconception of true existence. What do we mean when we talk about the basis on which emptiness is realized? Well, let's take as an example your hand. When an ordinary person looks at their hand, it appears that the hand is its own existence. However, if we look closely, we can see that physically the hand is only a collection of bones, flesh, blood and so on. This is the basis on which we mentally stick the label hand. If we look at an object that has petals, leaves, a stem, pistols and so on, we would not label that hand. We would label it flower, wouldn't we? In that case, the petals and so on form the basis on which to label flower. The point here is that the basis doesn't exist as a flower to our pet cat because the cat doesn't label flower on the basis. Of course, the flower still exists as a basis for the cat, but the cat's concept of what it is is different from ours. The flower only comes into existence when we agree to label it flower, flower having certain characteristics we have predetermined in our collective minds. In any case, I hope you understand what we mean by the basis for emptiness. 
Lama Tsongkhapa's verse tells us that when we truly understand that everything that exists relies on cause and effect and has no true existence of its own, we are pleasing the Buddhas as we approach their knowledge of how reality exists. Dependent arising doesn't only work in cyclic existence. It operates, as the verse says, beyond as well. In other words, we cannot say that Buddhahood is some kind of ultimate state beyond dependent arising. For us to become Buddhas, we have to depend on others for our practice and progress. For instance, how can we complete the perfection of patience if we don't have others to practice patience with? His Holiness the Dalai Lama often says that our enemies are the most precious resource, for it's only through their antagonism to us that we can practice patience. So Buddhahood itself is a dependent arising. Thus, Geshe Sonam Rinchen says, Everything that exists from forms to omniscience depends on parts and, where impermanent phenomena are concerned, on causes and conditions. The presentation of the unfailing nature of causes and their effects is incontrovertible. True existence, the mainstay of our misconceptions, is demolished by the reason of dependent arising, for nothing has ever existed truly and objectively. When you understand that not an atom of true or inherent existence can be found anywhere, and that at the same time causes and effects as well as actions and agents operate perfectly, you walk the path which pleases the enlightened ones. Thus the verse also has a moral implication that we please the Buddhas when taking good care of cause and effect with regard to our actions and their results. When we can truly understand that everything but everything we do depends on causes and conditions and parts, we will be careful about the effects we create and how we treat ourselves, others and our environment. His Holiness the Dalai Lama implies a cause and effect relationship when he talks about our universal responsibility and the environment. He says, in Buddhist practice, we get so used to this idea of non-violence and the ending of all suffering that we become accustomed to not harming or destroying anything indiscriminately. Although we do not believe that trees or flowers have minds, we treat them also with respect. Thus we share a sense of universal responsibility for both mankind and nature. Our belief in reincarnation is one example of our concern for the future. If you think that you will be reborn, you are likely to say to yourself, I have to preserve such and such because my future reincarnation will be able to continue with these things. Even though there is a chance you may be reborn as a creature, perhaps even on a different planet, the idea of reincarnation gives you a reason to have direct concern about this planet and future generations. In the West, when you speak of humanity, you usually mean only our existing generation of human beings. Past humanity is already gone. The future, like death, has yet to come. Western ideas usually deal with the practical side of things for only this present generation of human beings. But then he goes on, Our planet is our house and we must keep it in order and take care of it if we are genuinely concerned about happiness for ourselves, our children, our friends and other sentient beings who share this great house with us. If we think of the planet as our house or as our mother, Mother Earth, we automatically feel concern for our environment. Today we understand that the future of humanity very much depends on our planet and that the future of the planet very much depends on humanity. But this has not always been so clear to us. 
Until now, you see, Mother Earth has somehow tolerated sloppy house habits. But now, human use, population and technology have reached that certain stage where Mother Earth no longer accepts our presence with silence. In many ways, she's now telling us, my children are behaving badly. She's warning us that there are limits to our actions. The Tibetan Buddhist attitude is one of contentment, and there may be some connection here with our attitude towards the environment. We don't indiscriminately consume. We put a limit on our consumption. We admire simple living and individual responsibility. We've always considered ourselves as part of our environment, but not just any part. Our ancient scriptures speak of the container and the contained. The world is the container, our house, and we are the contained, the contents of the container. From these simple facts, we deduce a special relationship, because without the container, the contents cannot be contained. Without the contents, the container contains nothing. It's meaningless. Peace and survival of life on earth as we know it are threatened by human activities that lack a commitment to humanitarian values. Destruction of nature and natural resources results from ignorance, greed and lack of respect for the earth's living things. This lack of respect extends even to the earth's human descendants, the future generations who will inherit a vastly degraded planet if world peace doesn't become a reality and if destruction of the natural environment continues at the present rate. And then His Holiness goes on, Our ancestors viewed the earth as rich and bountiful, which it is. Many people in the past also saw nature as inexhaustibly sustainable, which we now know is the case only if we care for it. It is not difficult to forgive destruction in the past that resulted from ignorance. Today, however, we have access to more information. It is essential that we re-examine ethically what we've inherited, what we are responsible for, and what we will pass on to coming generations. You can hear the strains of dependent arising singing through these words, can't you? We have knowledge and understanding, and we only have to act responsibly if we want ourselves and our children and their children to experience happiness in the future. Otherwise, again through dependent arising, we will be creating our own downfall, and we will have no one to blame but ourselves. In any case, our main problem, whether it manifests as degradation of the environment or squabbling with the neighbors, is the misconception of the self. We don't understand that the self, like everything else, depends on causes, conditions and parts, and has no inherent independent existence at all. We see the self as some kind of intrinsic, enduring and independent phenomenon and base all our actions on that. But it's a misconception and it leads to actions that degrade the environment and induce other long-term sufferings for short-term benefits. Geshe Sonam Renchen points out that the person or self certainly exists as the agent of actions and the experiencer of their results. But no matter how the various philosophical schools view the self, it is nevertheless empty of inherent independent existence. He says, The self depends on causes, conditions, and on parts, and does not exist objectively and independently as it appears to the misconception of the self. It is attributed by name and by thought to its basis of attribution, the body and the mind. 
It is in no way independent of such naming and conceptuality. This applies equally to the body and mind that serves as a basis for designation for the person. The body itself is attributed by name and concept to a basis of attribution consisting of a collection of body parts. The mind is an attribution to a collection of mental functions and moments of mental activity. He is here, of course, basing his analysis on the prasangika point of view in saying that the self is only a name given to the basis of a body and mind. Bring a body and mind together and that combination can be known as a self. No other self exists apart from that labeling on the collection of body and mind. Similarly, a body is just a label on a collection of body parts as the basis, and the mind is just a collection of mental events and moments that we label mind. That is all. There is no other body and no other mind. Certainly no body or mind that exists independently of the collections of body and mental parts. The implications of this are enormous, but we'll have to leave discussing of that to another day, for now our time is up. I'm going into retreat for a month, and so the program will take some other form from next week onwards. Best wishes for a wonderful Christmas and New Year, and may we meet again in 2015. Thanks for joining the program today. Please dedicate any positive potential we have developed to your and all others' enlightenment. Thank you and goodbye. Thanks for listening to this Free FM podcast. If you want to hear more content like this, you can support Free FM via Patreon. Head to patreon.com/freefm89 to find out more.